Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Welcome to the next episode of Jedi Council Podcast. This is Katie Gordon. I'm very excited today to have Ken Capobianco. I should have asked you before, is that how you pronounce your last name? Capobianco, that's fine. Capobianco, whatever whatever you want to use, that's fine. Okay. I'm very excited to have you here, Ken. Ken is a is a longtime music critic and also someone who had anorexia for years before recovering. And he's told this story in various forms through articles, through a book. There's a YouTube brief documentary about it. And I think that Ken has a really important story to tell and a compelling way to tell it. So I'm hoping to ask some questions today so that we can... Ken, you can share your story with our listeners, and I know that you and I have the same goal, which is raising awareness about eating disorders so that people can have more compassion, understanding, and ultimately just have more effective ways to treat eating disorders. Exactly. I um, I suffered for a long time, and when I was suffering, uh, and, and I, I will say for me at least, it was suffering, uh, I mean, it was 30 years. Um, I was anorexic for 30 years, and it was very, very hardcore. Uh, so I, I didn't have very many uh, information, and uh, I just all I had was speaking to doctors that I was with. And at that time, you have to remember, in the uh, 70s, in the 80s, there really wasn't all that much information. So uh, it, it's important for people to have information. That, that that's the most crucial thing. Uh, and and hear other people who I've struggled, because I never, I, I, had, I didn't know anybody who struggled, I didn't read stories, there was, I think, uh, one book, um, The Gilded Cage, I think it's called, I, I don't know, that was, or I, I'm not really sure what, what but um, I know there was one book, and that was it, and I, I never heard any stories, to be honest with you, and didn't meet any, any other people who suffered, so I, I, it's, I think it's important to tell these stories. Absolutely. And do you think that you, you mentioned you suffered with anorexia for 30 years. Do you think that would have been different if you had access to other people's stories or you were connected to other people who were uh, suffering? That's, that's a good question. I think it might have helped me get some and make me live, feel less like a freak. Let me put it that mm -hmm. way. Um, for me, uh, I don't know if it would have uh, less made, made my issues um, any, any less, but the, the reality was I just dealt with, I couldn't eat. I mean, I, I just refused to eat. I didn't eat during the day at all. I didn't drink water. Uh, and that's for 30 years. Uh, I would just eat at night after I came home from clubs at maybe one, two in the morning. So, um, whether or not they would have made a difference, I don't know, but because I mean, doctors were telling me, Ken, you can't do this. You just, if you continue on this path, there it's a dangerous road, and you know you, you, you'll, your 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 functions, body functions will will shut down. And I didn't listen. I, I 
I, I just thought I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I felt powerful. You felt powerful. And it sounds like, did you, you, you said you, you mentioned before, you said you felt like a freak. You think that would have felt less. So you felt was that I'm curious, feeling powerful and like a freak. Were those things you alternated in between or were those at well, different stages? I think part of being a freak for me actually was being mad. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, there, I mean, nobody understood uh, what I, what was going on. And, uh, it, you know, I would look at myself in the mirror and I'd say, you know, you, you look okay, even though I was emaciated. But the idea that uh, I was, you know, I had known this Karen Carpenter story. My mother would be sending me articles and people would be sending me articles on anorexia and things like that. And I would say, okay, but I'm a guy and, and this shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, you know, the doctors would say, okay, it, it doesn't matter, men or women, this happens. Um, so really my feeling of being a freak and I was very much into literature. I, I had got my master's in literature, and uh, and I was very influenced. One of the stories that influenced me tremendously was uh, Franz Kafka's *Hunger Arts*, which is really the first story about uh, a male anorexic. I mean, it, it really. I mean, everybody should read it. And I I don't think anybody references it, but it is a story about anorexia. And it had a tremendous impact on me because that was my story. Mm -hmm. it, it, it frightened me because everything he articulated in it was it was a it was about a circus uh, guy who was pretty much in a circus and he starved because he didn't have any connections and and uh, it, it, it's done it, it's not really a realistic story it's done more as parable and but it truly affected me because that's who I was that's how I identified myself as the hunger artist. Oh, wow. So I actually, I, um, now that you mentioned that I have worked with a psychiatrist once who had mentioned the hunger artist, but you're right. Other than that, I haven't heard it mentioned very much in the context of eating disorders. Very few people read it. And I really, I, to me, it's, it's one of the seminal stories, seminal narratives of, of it, everything about anorexia is in that story. I mean, it was written in at the early 19th century, I mean, early 20th century. And you know, for some reason, nobody, nobody, nobody talks about it. But if you read it, it, it everything is in there. Everything I, I suffered, uh, my need to my need to connect with people, my need to express myself, my need the I, the idea of people always staring at me. That's what I felt everywhere I went. I felt as if people were staring at me because I was, I was, uh, I was frightening. I mean, I, literally, I, I I looked terrible throughout my through almost throughout my life, you know, and it, it, it was I just never it, I just never could change. I just couldn't do it. And at, so it sounds like it was a really powerful experience to read that. And when when did you read that? Was that when I read it? I, I read it right when I started. Right, really, when I started not eating around when I was. 21, 22. I mean, I, I started, I started dieting, let's put it this way, at 18, okay. 17, 18. Um, I started healthy dieting, running, and, um, you know, I really wanted to lose weight. I wanted to, um, I thought that's how I would meet girls. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was, that was my thing. 
And uh, I thought if I looked like the guys, uh, all the girls that I liked were, were, were dating. That's that's how I did. So I, I started dieting and I lost a lot of weight. I lost like 30 pounds, but then I couldn't stop. And it became a problem. It, it just, I, I just fell, in, fell into a spiral and everybody said, Ken, you have gone a little bit too far, I think. And, and, and then I went to get my master's and that's when I read the story. And uh, I identify with that, and but it really, you know, I mean, that that was that was, that was I compartmentalized that because that was that was literature. Mm-hmm. The, you know, it wasn't what I was doing. I was still dieting in my mind. You know? Okay, so you, so it sounds like at first it started out, you felt like it. They were healthy changes, and did people did people respond to you? Were were you able? Did you date more Absolutely. and things like that? Okay. Absolutely, yes, yes. Uh, I I lost weight. I lost like. I, I, I guess I, I got down. My I got down to a point where I never forget. I mean, this this is ingrained in my brain. I was 140 pounds. Um, I used to weigh probably about 170 or 75. I was 140 pounds, and I, I look good. And everybody said, "Oh, you look you look really great." And uh, women, I started going out with you know girls and and because uh, I mean I was only 17, 18 mm-hmm. at the time, and it, everything was going well, and then. I don't know what happened. To be honest with you, I it just I just couldn't stop, and it, it, and then what when I, then I I thought um, I was losing weight, but then when the women, the girls I was dating, were saying, "I need you to eat with me," uh, and I and and, and you're, you're 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 looking thin, and I and I I just I didn't hear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that's what I was doing was right, and then I but I didn't hear them, and I just kept dieting and, and kept losing weight. And it, and then once I once I went to get uh, you know when I got my masters, I knew I had to eat because I ha- I wa- I really wanted my masters. I was so driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I was so driven to 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 achieve what I needed to get. So I ate enough so I could concentrate and run. Running was incredibly important. Yes, to run five miles a day. And then once I got out, finished my master's, there was nothing left to accomplish. And that's when it all spiraled out. Okay. You know, you know I, I, I got into a relationship. I was in a living relationship with a uh, woman who had her own body issues. And that really, really made it a problem for me. And I just continued. And I... Just get got less and less and less. Lost weight, weight, weight. So I was about you know about a hundred pounds throughout my twenties. So it sounds like you kind of you started out feeling like it was a healthy change. Then it seemed like it slipped into out of control. But then you were motivated by your masters that that was enough to drive you to eat more. And then it kind of shows how powerful situations can be because then you're in a relationship with someone who's also struggling. And then it sounds like you backslid. So you mentioned feeling powerful. Did you feel powerful throughout or were there certain times you felt more powerful or what? Could you tell me a little bit more about that feeling? Yes. Well, uh, to me, to me, I felt strong. I mean, I, I felt like I could do, I, I felt like I had a superpower. I didn't have to eat. Everybody else had to eat. I could say no. They were indulging. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I felt. You are indulging. I'm so much stronger than you because you're weak. You you need to eat. You need to go to have dinner. Hey, I don't need to do that. 
I, I can just live. And uh, and I and everybody said, no, no, it's going to catch up with you. And I said, no, I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of special, you know. I mean, I I, I can do this. I've been doing it for so long, and so it did make me feel like I was achieving something. Mm. Uh, I was achieving this perfect to me what was a perfect body, mm-hmm. which was being as skinny as possible. That I think. Do you think that's related to bigger cultural ideas about how? people have such strong willpower and if they're thin that means they're kind of morally better or superior in some way if they can control uh, their eating yeah i no, i see that 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 never was my thing mm-hmm. I, I you know it wasn't it wasn't a, a a cultural thing because obviously uh the the paradigm for men are big men strong you know i you know i it's it, it's to be uh, you know powerful and i was just you know Thin. I had this vision in my mind that the thinner was, uh, and, and and I know now we have this, you know, and, and obviously it's a it's a, a big issue in our society. Thinner is better. I mean, you see the girls on Instagram. The thinner girl is is always is the girl with six million you know followers, and, and I know it, thinner is better. It, it, you know, the the that's what they're saying. You know, people were were kind of socially conditioned that thinner is better at this point. But that never it never was part of my thing because everybody telling me, my mom, my dad, my family, hey, you look you look fine. You don't need to be thin. And I just I just thought, okay, I need to I just because I long past the point of looking like you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen when he was before Born to Run. That was my thing. You know, I wanted to look like him. I wanted to look like, you know, Mick Jagger and, and, and people like that. And, and, and But I was long past that. I was right. I, you know, and so it wasn't about you know, thin being good. Mm-hmm. It was just about me losing all touch with reality. Uh, you're a music critic, right? And so, there, oh, yeah. so you yeah. looked at... You were hanging out around musicians, and you kind of looked I at was, them. Always, always around musicians, and and you know it, it, it was and see, but the thing was that's how I got away with doing it because no one thought I had a problem because I looked like every I looked like every other drug-addled uh, rock person in the club. You know, I mean, it was it, it, I just fit in. Everybody thought I was just oh, that's Ken. He's just thin. You know, he's a rock. He's a rock guy. Okay, and so. That's how I fit in. So, and, and, but, so I was, but, you know, I was like starving. I, I was barely able to stand while watching the shows. And, and you know, but it, it, I, nobody, no, nobody seemed concerned. So when, so in that environment, you kind of fit blended in, but you mentioned your family was saying, and people you dated were saying, this is, you know, you're way too thin. How, so when they said that kind of stuff, did you just dismiss it when they were expressing uh, that? Well, there was, it was, a, it was, yes, I did, um, you know, uh, because my brother really tried and, uh, and, but, you know, then he, then he had, a, he had kids and he had, and he started, he had to deal with his own family and he, he had to pull away. And see, my parents, um, you know, kept saying, you know, my mom, I had, you know, I didn't have, I had a good relationship with my mom and dad. I mean, I, I didn't have trouble, but, but, my mom kept saying, "Just please pray, please pray. You'll, you'll. I'm going to pray for you every day." 
and that angered me because I, I don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And so she, she would say, and, and there was a sense of anger. And every time a mom said that, it was in my mind, and this is, you know, in the subconscious, uh, and just in my head, um, is that if, if I got better, she would think it was because she's praying. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that cannot happen. And it, it became, it be, and really, and also the whole idea of obeying your parents, mm-hmm. to be honest mm-hmm. with you, you know, your mother, mom knows best. And, uh, cause I knew, I thought I knew what is, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not blaming my mom at all, yeah. you know, because my mom was truly, truly concerned and supportive, but you know, there are all those things is, you know, your mom tells you to do something, you just don't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy living in the rock and roll world. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it was. You know, rock and roll is about defying everybody. I see. So it's kind of like looking at it now, you can see, look, my mom was genuinely concerned and she was coping with it and expressing it the best way. But at the time that didn't, it didn't hit you that way. Were there certain people that said things or certain ways where people got through to you where you felt like, yeah, maybe they're right. And I need to think about Um, what I'm doing. I'm going to be honest with you. Doctors were telling me over and over again. I mean, I, I would have to weigh in. I would have to go. People, doctors uh, were telling me all the time. And I listened and I said, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do need to gain weight. And then I'd go home and start. I, it, it just, it never, it, nothing registered. Okay. Nothing. Ever. And did you mean it in that moment? I'm going to try to change this, or was it kind of just oh, to get out of no. the office? Okay. I was, I was, I was just, you know, just placating them and saying, "Yep, I'm, please just let me. Uh, I will do whatever you say." And then I leave the office and I get on the trolley to get back to my apartment and, in Boston, and then I would just go home and start. You know, I mean, it, 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 it you know, just saw a retrospect. Right. You have to understand. At that moment, at you know, when you're 20, 23, 24 and you're just starving, you you think you're right. You 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 have blinders on. Yeah, you have no perspective. Nothing. What what made it worse was uh, you live in. I lived in a one bedroom apartment, and then you know I was with my girlfriend at first, and I was resentful of being in a relationship because it was a terrible toxic relationship a bad relationship and that compounded things that made me star because really what i was trying to do is get her leaving okay to be honest you know and and so i just i just kept doing it and then when she left then all i would do is go home and i'd be by myself and that and and really isolation is the worst thing absolute worst thing and the only way you can recover is to break out of the isolation and do you feel as (laughs) as a writer that made it so that you were kind of more isolated that you would have been in another type of position? Yes. Yes, that that is true. I I mean, I I was, but you know, even when I was writing full time on staff with other people, having to go to work, I, in my thirties, I still, I still start. I mean, I, and I didn't, I didn't participate. People would have birthdays, cakes. Great, great. I'm not eating. You know, you guys, you want lunch? No, sorry, not eating. I just, 
I just did, I, I didn't participate with life. Mm-hmm. So at the time, would you say that you were having negative effects from that? Or is it just looking in retrospect that you notice all of these negative effects? Uh, well, you know, I, what happened was, was uh, I mean, my body had negative effects at the time. I mean, in my, I, my running became more, more difficult. And then um, when I was 35, I had a double pneumonia. And very, very bad case of double pneumonia. I was very skinny. And, um, the, and the doctor told my brother, I'm not, you know, he's not going to live through this. And uh, I, I remember being in the hospital. They isolated me in a room because I was so bad. And I, I didn't see anybody for, for months. So, so, no, it took a very big, big toll on me. And then what happened was I got out and everybody said, you have to eat, you have to eat, you have to eat. And I said, yes, yes. And I, and I ate because I knew I had to. Um, and I went to see doctors and, and I, I just, and I just fell back. I, I really did. I just fell right back into what my own, you know, once you fall, the thing about eating disorders and especially with anorexia is the pattern. Pattern. If you fall, you go home for me, I went to my apartment. I knew what to do. You, you don't eat, you don't, you know, you just, you just that, that's what you do. It's, it's like walking to that door. That means you can't eat. And that's why I was always in clubs. Because I would forget about food. I would always, always, I'd always leave because I hated being home. It reminded me that there was food in the house. So that you mentioned being at the clubs, you were kind of not thinking about it. And when, so you, was it that you felt hungry, but you kind of had this power to override no. that or you didn't feel oh, hungry? No, there was no hunger. Okay. Your, your body shuts down. I mean, your body shuts down all appetite. And I'm, and I'm talking about, you know, uh, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't know what hunger was. Honestly, I didn't know what hunger was at all. And then of course it shut down uh, appetite for women and, and I, but they, I had no appetite. Nothing. I was numb, completely numb. I, I just didn't feel anything. And would you say you were it depressed or just disconnected or how would you say? You- I was, I was massively depressed okay. and disconnected. Okay. Yes. But, but. I will say this, how I got through it was by writing because I could write about the music I love and I was, I'm, I'm not, not, not bragging, okay, but I was, I, this is not a humble brag at all, but I was good at my job, okay, I, I, was, I was a good music critic. And I, I I'll brag for you, you have published okay. in <laughs> you know, all I, of the best outlets and won awards recognizing you for your wonderful music writing and reviewing. So I'll, I'll take over the brag. So that's incredible. Okay, <laughs> but, but the other thing I did was I started a humor column. Um, I started a humor column and I channeled my life into the humor column. And I didn't talk about my anorexia, but I talked about um, confusion with life and all these things in a funny way. And there were essays once a week and it was so important for me because I could write these stories. I mean, I was telling my story, only I didn't, I didn't write about the anorexia. I just wrote about everything else. And so I was telling my story each week and people responded. They loved it. You know, that was where I won the, that's when I won best humor columnist. I wanted, you know, and because I was channeling my story into my writing and that got me through. Is that, is your humor column still available online? 
Uh, not really. You know, what happened is uh, they, there's a, there's only a couple, but it's only if you look at the images. But unfortunately, I was writing for a weekly who who's not forward thinking, um, and they didn't see the internet coming. We're talking 90, 1995 to two thousand, okay. and they didn't see the internet coming. So it's just it's in our it's archived, but really there's just one or two online, it's, it, and you have to go through the images under my name. But it, unfortunately, I mean, it, to me, because it's got five years of weekly columns. And they they were humorous and they were good, you know. So, and that, but that was great practice for me ultimately writing the novel. Yeah, I was gonna say. So I, as you know, I I've been sl- slow reading it just because that's how how life is when it's busy. But your yeah. humor certainly comes out in the novel. And I I mean, so I recently attended the International Conference for Eating Disorders, and one of the great sessions that I attended was talking about using irreverence when you're talking about deadly eating disorders. And it's pretty controversial. But what the therapists were saying is that sometimes adding some levity or straight talk, directness, whatever you want to call it, being blunt, is really needed when you're dealing with something that takes such a toll. Well, that that was the whole focus of my book. And that's why some people in the eating disorder community are not, uh, you know, not all enthralled by it because it is very profane um, because that's how, that's how the person feels. Right. You know, he's, he's, he's outraged with life. And, and, and he, he, it, the book is profane. And it also because it gets explicit, uh, sexually explicit, but that, you know, for me, that was, that's a huge part of recovery. Um, and, you know, regaining your libido, mm-hmm. and 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 also sh- um, shutting down your libido. It's 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 what what makes you depressed. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I wanted to to all really deal in a very very honest, very raw, and in many ways very blunt fashion with humor. I wanted to make it funny, you know. And and the thing is, some people get it, some people don't. And that's okay, um, but you know, it, to me, that's that's how you got. To, I, I, it's the only way I know how to tell the story because it's 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 you're in a and you're in not I don't want to say bizarre, but you're in a disoriented mindset when when you have anorexia, and, and you have to capture the the disorientation in the world. You know that you feel like the world is is you, you don't fit in, and that's what I wanted to capture. Well, I. I'm really enjoying it so far. The book is called Call Me Anorexic, The Ballad of a Thin Man. So nice uh, Bob Dylan reference in there. And, yes, that's right. <laughs> and um, I, I will certainly link to it. I, I, I just say, can I just say sure. why I use that also is the line, something is happening, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? And that's what you feel like when, when, you're, when you're anorexic, is that something's happening to you, something's happening and you don't know what it is, and and you, you just, if there's a power over you, something bigger than you, and and to me that was that when I heard you know when I least I love Bob Dylan, and when I heard that line when I was thinking about my book, I said that that's the line, you know I mean that that's that's the way I felt. Something's happened to me. I I don't know how to control it. Yeah, so it it felt like an outside force kind of taking over absolutely. you. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. It, 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 it felt like a force bigger than me. And I, I, I can't explain it any better than that, that once I got in the spiral, 
And I'm talking about the, the starvation spiral. You know, uh, it felt like I, I, I thought I was in control of everything. That's what I believed. I controlled it, you know. That's why if people told me something, I would say, no, no, I know what I'm doing. I control it. But I, uh, in reality, was I realized even even then I said, boy, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I can't, I'm not in control. I'm, I'm, I feel like something just driving me right to the grave. Wow. And so coming out of that after decades of experience, um, suffering and kind of having that mindset, what, what started you on the road to recovery? It was brutal. Uh, I, I, as I had a major stroke at 45, that was, that was very important. I mean, I, I, it was a massive stroke. I mean, I, I lost all, it took me a very long time. I had lost all feeling in the left side of my body and things like that. So, um, what happened was, uh, I, I, it took me a very long time to recover, gained a lot of weight, um, not a lot of weight, but I mean, I got up to a lot, well, 119, but for me, I mean, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you numbers cause that may trigger people. And I, I, I don't want to, but the thing is I got, I got to a, a, a manageable weight. And when I got out, um, uh, I thought I was, I thought I was done. I remember my friend speaking to me on the phone. He said, he said, are you, is this, are you done? Are you, uh, is this it for you? And I said, yep, yep, yep. And then what happened is I got out and my mom died. <sighs> And uh, I got out of the hospital, and my mom died um, like very almost almost right after. And um, that was really tough. So um, I, I struggled with that, and then I started losing weight again. And then I, after my mom died, one of the things you know when she was on her deathbed, uh, and I'll never forget this. Um, she was in she was in the um, uh, she was in the hospital, and she said to me, "Can." And this is two days before she died. She said, Ken, you got to go to California. Wow. I know, I know I've been keeping you here. I know that, you know, this, this, you've, been, you've been staying on the East Coast because your parents are here. You, because I always wanted, I always wanted to live in California. And she said, you need to move to California. And, you know, that was to me, I, I was, it was kind of, my mom, you know, the thing was, I was really, really close to my mom and, and she just, and, it, and she died, um, she went into a coma like maybe eight hours later and uh, she died. And then I, I, after she died, I, I just said, okay, got to sell this house. It was in the middle of the, the recession, you know, the Bush recession and uh, the massive recession. We couldn't sell the house. And I sold the house and we moved to California and, and I got on a plane and literally, I just got on a plane out and um, I, I, I lived in Long Beach for one year um in the 80s uh because I, I i just drove cross country i broke up my girlfriend what happens i drove cross country and i lived just for one year out here and then so i knew where i was and i just got out here and when i got out here that's that's what that's what changed because if i, I do believe this if i stayed on the east coast i never would have recovered really never Whoa. never would have recovered because and i don't mean that you know because you as we know change of location you bring often you bring your baggage with you but the thing is here was it was important that everything was new to me. I, there were no familiar patterns, traps, nothing. Everything was new. And I started meeting people. And I, and I, and I started to say, okay, now i got to meet people. I can't, can't do the same thing they did or else, or else I'm, I'm going to die. And it, became, it was very hard to gain weight. 
it was very hard to gain weight because if imagine not eating during the day ever or drink water for 30 years wow. and then all of a sudden starting and i mean all of a sudden say to yourself okay i'm going to eat a little bit more and you start and you got to live through each day with food in you and it's like I don't know if I can make it, and I it, I went crazy. But I mean, it, it felt like I was going crazy. But I would just play music, listen to music, sit on the beach, and I would say, "Okay, it's going to be all right. You are going to be okay." Uh, you know, all the words of my therapist, who I had before I had my stroke. Um, you know, the you know he all the words, and I, and I talk about this in the book. I mean, the therapy sessions in the book are are pretty much accurate to my experience um, because I, I put particular therapy sessions in the book that deal with the doctor telling him how to cope and um, and it's and it's done humorously and things like and but it's it's pretty accurate but I remembered everything he told me you know I remember everything he told me and I just and I just moved on I mean and then I started and really the key thing Katie really to be honest with you I started meeting women mm-hmm. and that, that was, I mean, I, I, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, who didn't, didn't go out with women, you know, just randomly maybe met women, you know, met, obviously men, but I mean, didn't date women and, and for the first 30 years, so it was, it was a horror show. It's just a terrible, terrible horror show. And then I started meeting women again and that, and then I said, okay, you know, and I remember the, like um, one, one woman said, you don't eat, do you? And I said, no, nah, you know, the first time I went out with her and she said, uh, you know, there's something wrong here. And then the second time, and she said, nah, I, I can't do this. Next, next woman I was with, I started eating with in public. And that was a huge breakthrough. And I called my best friend who I, and now this, I had known since I was 17 and I never ate with him. And since I was 17 to 48, never eat with him. I used to go out and drink Diet Coke. It was embarrassing. And um, I called him up. I said, "Dude, we we got to go out. I'm I'm going to eat with you." And and it was a, it was a, such a big emotional breakthrough for me. And him, he was my best. Friend. He was my best friend. He was. He says, "You don't know how much this means to me." And and, and he, he said, "You know, I mean, all this time, I I just wanted to eat with you. I I, I feel like we miss so much." And um and then and for me that was that was the breakthrough. That was you know just being able to. Eat, eat with him oh, and bet. then eat, eat with other people. It was, it, I can't tell you how important that was. It sounds like it, it was hard, obviously, for a very long time, but then it started being rewarding to do that. How did you get through those initial times where you were eating out in public and that after not for so long? I would have to let my panic on to other people. I mean, inside I was like, oh boy, okay, where how much weight am I gaining with this, you know? And what is this going to do for me? How, what am I going to look like tomorrow? And then um, I, I I would just take it, I remember taking a deep breath and I would make sure, you know, I would, I, I'm real, I can't tell you the importance of music in my life. Uh, I, I, every night I'd sit in my car, I'd go for drives down the Pacific Coast Highway and drive, you know, I'd play Prince, I played Jean Monet and you know all these all these artists. You know Erica Badu, who I love. I, I would just play music and just I 
I'd, I'd spend two, three hours with music. I just killed time listening to music. And I, it made me feel better. You know, I, was, I didn't think about food. I, I love every artist you just named, too. I think that's wonderful that, that music had such a powerful role. And so you're a huge fan, and it's your career, too, so you've been able to interact yeah, absolutely. and, and, and that was other, with a lot of And people. that was the other thing. I was still writing about music. You know, okay. so I was on deadline. I was on deadline, so you can't really worry about what you ate four hours later when you've got to write a story. Okay, so you would kind of push yourself to do it through the panic, and then find ways I, to... I, I would, listen, the world is, it, for me, the, the, I always thought the world was going to end. If I ate, I, either the world was going to end, or I would turn into, uh, you know, and I, I, I don't want to trigger mm-hmm. people, but for me, it was a blimp. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was gigantic. I, I was so frightened of that. I mean, I can't tell you, even when I'm talking about now, it's, it's, it's sending me, you know, kind of like, yeah, that was my fear that I would uh, be this. And in the book, I talk about it, that that's what Michael has to face because he sees Mighty Python in the book. I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to ruin it, but in the book, he goes see the meaning of life. And if you see, if you see Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, uh, with Mr. Creosote, um, and I'm, if anybody who hasn't seen it, I'm not going to explain it to you, but, but he has to face that um, uh, and, and understand how, how absurd it is. It's absurd. His fear is absurd. My fear was absurd. For a long period in your life, there wasn't this like ability to step outside and look and say, oh, this is... There's Never. an absurdity, or or maybe you Never. know I'm I'm missing out on a lot of things, but that that Never. changed through it sounds like several impactful life experiences, and you mentioned therapy was a key part of it. What were there particularly effective things that the that you, your relationship with your therapist did, or that the therapist said that really helped? I think he he would just say, um, you know, I mean, we really he would. We really didn't talk about the past all that much. I mean, we, we just really worked on, on the moment, you know, I mean, and he kept just telling me that, you know, understand that, you know, what your, it's your reality. This is not reality. And, and what you need to do is understand that there are things in your life that you enjoy, writing, uh, music, whatever. Uh, your family, and that if you keep on this path, you, they you will not be able to enjoy them. So look, focus on what are the what are the things that are important to you. Is is your illness more important than everything else? And luckily in my life, things like uh, writing and music were important to me. I mean, and and that that's what sustained me through all that time. So really, we. It was a, a, you know, just a talk therapy. There were a couple of times where he said, I want to eat with you. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. And then one, t- one time we ate together. I thought, I thought, okay, you're going to go out with me to eat? Are you, are you serious? That's not, and, and, and uh, he, he, we just went, I just ate yogurt and I was freaking out. And, but he just said, please just sit, sit with me. And I did and nothing happened. And, and I realized, okay. This isn't too bad, you know. I mean, but now it didn't. It didn't make me eat more, but um, it, it made me realize. Okay, in that moment, he's right, you know. And and so therefore, later, 
I just always flash back to that and all the things we talked about and and, and, and the idea of, you know, really, you want to, you, you, there is so much more to life than starvation. And that was the key thing for me. Yeah, it, it sounds like that, that the therapist was able, because you can imagine, like you said, there are, maybe it was the timing or the way the therapist said things that people had said probably somewhat similar things, but you didn't yeah, hear them, yeah. you know, but it sounds yeah, like the therapist. I, I let it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I let it in. And, but he was also also a little bit different. Though. He was empathetic mm-hmm. and um, didn't, it didn't seem, to me, didn't seem judge, judgmental, you know, I mean, and, and that was because uh, I always felt other people were judging me, you know, a little bit. And I, uh, other doctors, you know, and I, you know, or, or at least they felt like they sounded like my mother. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were telling you things that you had already heard, but this guy was kind of more com- uh, compassionate, like you're saying. And, and I think that's really important for therapists to hear that to, for someone to be able to connect with you and, and trust you and being willing to try things they you have to feel like they they get you and that they're not judging you about it yeah and 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 you know for, for also also to to, to de- treat me not as it felt like i was i wasn't talking and i know there are there are boundaries obviously sure. obviously that you are very super very important to have boundaries but it felt like i didn't feel like he was my doctor as much as he was someone i could talk mm-hmm. to uh, someone, someone that I could rely on and talk to. And it wasn't. I had seen so many doctors who I knew were looking at a clock, who who I knew weren't paying attention. I mean, in in my book, I talk about the one doctor um, who said to me, uh, and this is a true story. He said to me, uh, you know, what, uh, just talking to me. He said, when when do when do you when do you, have you stopped menstruating? What? And, oh my gosh! Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, what? And I, I just said, okay, you're not paying attention. Yeah. You're not, you know, and, and so, so, you know, I mean, I goof on certain doctors that I, that I actually experienced. I mean, I, in the book, you know, I mean, I, I, I have like a one chapter in which Michael sees all these doctors and, and they're, they're quasi ridiculous, but they were real. Wow. They were real, you know, and, and I experienced so many, and I, listen, I, I'm a huge, huge supporter of therapists. I, I believe the only way you can get healthy is through therapy. Uh, you know, you can't do it. You know, so I'm, I'm a huge supporter of therapists, but there are a lot of therapists who did not help me and who didn't understand their job. But I, that, I, I'm unequivocal about this, that I have nothing but support for therapists and, and doctors because I believe they have good intentions now. There may be some who are you know, not very good, but, you know, I mean, Really, uh, every every physician I've ever been with have been great, and 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 I did have you know a, a really superb therapist. Yeah, I think what you're saying is is really important for therapists to hear too. That the authentic connection that it that you that there was a sincerity in wanting to help you, and that it wasn't just kind of running through a routine or treating you like someone who couldn't be who didn't have a, I mean, it was clearly, it was collaborative. He was trying to understand your I, life and your goals and your values and what I, you wanted. And understand me as a man. Right, right. And uh, he was, he was just, he would just roll with me. And it, it was, and he, his, 
his therapy was particular to me. I felt like he was talking to Ken, not not just another anorexic patient. And, and that's the thing doctors have to understand. It's it's every person's narrative is different, and there are no you have to you have to relate to that person and understand their issues and not just have a uniform understanding of of and this is what drives me crazy about all those articles in the papers that in in, in the in the in the not papers i this is i'm so old school but i mean it, you know it's going around and circulating on the internet that, that kind of talk about male anorexia as as one or two threads and there's not then nobody ever talks about they say you know the drive for muscularity and and you know popular cultures images men they talk about it but nobody says it's you have to study and and look at the person's story that every man is going to be different that's what nobody talks about we talked a little bit about this before we started recording that that's part of why getting many different stories out there, that's what affects people, right? In a lot of ways. It's, it's crucial. It's, absolutely. Everybody's story is different. And, and that's why it's, but the, now, and the thing is, it's important that there are more male stories coming out slowly, but surely. Now I understand men's reluctance to come forward and talk about, you know, struggling with eating disorders because there is a stigma, and that's what I'm trying to do is break the stigma. Hey, I am no less masculine than than a buff guy because I had anorexia. Right. I am no less of a man because I, I had anorexia. So if, if men hear this and they understand you can you can go through this and and, and there's no judgment on you and, and you're not you're not something less because you feel like you're something less. So I understand the reluctance, but the thing is what, and I blame this on the journalists, okay, not 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 on, on, on the guys, but uh, journalists now are just relying on maybe one, two spokesmen, maybe one spokesperson. When they do those stories, they have one person they go to, and, 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 and I give Mike Marshmallow a tremendous amount of credit for, you know, the Seattle Mariners catcher. Uh, who had an eating disorder, and he's now the spokesman for Nita. And I give him a tremendous amount of credit for what he's doing, nothing but positive. But the journalists should know, okay, his story is out there. There are other stories yes. that are that there is no paradigmatic story for male anorexia. He, he doesn't speak for everybody, and he, I, I thank him for doing what he's doing, but it's very important. Absolutely. And you've made such contributions in that. And it, I think it, it actually, so there was one question that, that you saw that was on Twitter from Brittany Bohr that she yes. would be interested hearing your thoughts on. And, and so you, you, you've talked about for, you know, men are less likely to have anorexia, but they certainly obviously can be affected by it. A lot of the research that's done has focused on women because of that. And there are differences. What right. would you say are some of the similarities and differences between women and men uh, with anorexia? I would say probably, I would say probably there, there are, there are, there are issues that, that they, that I would say one, I mean, there, there are probably the similarities I can talk about that. I, that I, I obviously went into group therapy with other women 
and I mean, it, yeah, and I, I, uh, I was, I mean, I tried everything, you know, and I was denied inpatient therapy with, uh, with, you know, for, for many years I was denied. I couldn't because uh, I was with women. But when I was talking to women, and I have spoken to many women, saying a lot of issues, control, self-hatred, low self-esteem, drive for perfection, you know, th those, are, those are threads. Okay, but how they are manifested in everybody's individual story, I mean, it, for another, for a woman, for an, a woman, it might be similar to my story, you know, of the drive for me, driven like crazy to, to get an education and, and, and to excel as a writer. Uh, and, and to me, that, that, that translated over to a drive for perfection in eating disorder. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was, it, it was strange. So I think there are ties that connect, but it really depends on who is the woman. Ask the woman, ask each individual man their story, and then there you will know more. Uh, because there, even though we can connect it, and you know the the different the differences, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't know enough. Um, about what women struggle with uh, in, in different things, especially, you know, I mean, I think the key thing, what you might want to ask um, uh, another, a woman was in their recovery was how important was recovering their libido um, to their recovery? Uh, because, you know, that it may be different. I don't know, but it was important. How, how important to them was it making connections again? Real life connections, not social media connections. Those are fake connections. Real connections with people. Um, that was the key thing for me. And, and I think that is the key thing for everybody, is making real life connections. And that's what I would ask other women. I mean, because those are the okay. key things for me. So I want to, I, I, um, I won't take up too much of your time, but there are two other things that I, that I want to ask you. Sure, go ahead. Okay. No, no worries. No worries. So you've kind of, one of the threads throughout, you said that's very clear in your, in your book, um, and that, and in your experiences is the sexuality involved in diminished sex drive and libido. And so you, you said was part of recovering your, your sex drive that was that part of the motivation of recovering from anorexia? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, I, I, I can't emphasize it enough. I mean, you once, once, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to overemphasize it, uh, but I am. Mm -hmm. uh, because once I, once, one of the things with the themes of my novel is letting go. Um, and, 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 and ultimately Michael, uh, Michael needs to learn how to let go and because everything's so bottled up. Now I know a lot of the things people object to is, is the explicit nature of the sex, but what Michael needs to do is it's okay to be open and free and, and, and instead of bottled up controlled all the time. And for me, that was the, I, I can't, I, you know, once, once I, once I discovered my libido, then it was so easy to eat them. It really was. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't know how else I can say it. And it's, it's a subject people don't talk about. Nobody talks about that. 
You know, I, I think that you're absolutely right. Working within eating disorder clinics and even historically, right, there are some people that would view not eating as a way to dampen their sexual desires because they felt that absolutely. it was shameful to have sexual desires or some of them maybe experienced trauma and eating was a way to kind of right. change their body or to change their desires. And so I have seen more recently research or things addressing things like sexual satisfaction and eating disorders and the impact it has on quality of life and relationships. So I, I definitely see what you're saying in that this has been a missing piece of the picture, maybe from a lot of different mental health conditions, maybe within eating disorders and beyond. Right, exactly. But you have to understand the intimate connection between appetite. It's appetite, mm -hmm. appetite, and, and, and hunger, and hunger. And, and, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, reconnecting with your appetite across the board. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you, you don't compartmentalize appetite. Absolutely. I mean, I think about even one of the most popular screening measures of depression has a question about sex drive because it's all, these things are connected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, you know, you, you just, you just shut down. You say, forget it. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to go there because if, if I go there, then it might, it might, I might start, I might start eating. I might start indulging in eating. So my other question that I was wondering is how, how are you doing now? You mentioned before even thinking about eating and, and worrying about weight gain and things like that. How, how are you now? I eat well. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I mean, my wife is a cook. My wife's a chef. She's a Thai chef. Okay. So yeah, um, ultimate iron. I mean, so wow. here's the thing is, you know, um, uh, you know, I, when I first met her, she said, I own a, a Thai restaurant and I was like, okay, this should be great. Wow. What a great match, you know? Um, but, but it, it, she's very supportive. She's great. And, and uh, what happens is, you know, I mean, I eat and the thing is I, and they talk about eating intuitively, uh, you know, which, which, um, eat what, when you're, when you're, when you need to eat when, what you, what you want, when you need to, and things like that. That's what I do. I mean, basically I know what I want. I mean, I, there are foods I like. I, so, I mean, I just, I eat and I exercise, but not, not manic exercise. You know, one of the things about eating disorders is, is once people recover then they stay, they turn their neurosis um, and I'm going to call it neurosis, but they turn, they turn that neurosis into exercise and they exercise every, every minute of the day. And, and they're in the gym all the time. You see them on Instagram, you know, uh, I, I, I exercise this long and look at me now and blah, 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 blah. I, you know, I exercise, you know, 40 minutes a day on a, a, a stationary bike because I can't, I, you know, I, I had a massive, I had major stroke, so I can't run anymore, um, you know, but I, I do whatever exercise I can, but it's not, it's not really to lose weight, it's to get my blood flowing. I'm 59 years old, I got to keep the blood flowing, you know, so I mean, you know, just to keep my heart going. And I don't, I don't think about, I don't think about, you know, I eat, I see, sit across from my wife, I'm talking to her, I don't think about the food. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting with my friends. I, I really, that okay. fear, that panic is gone. The only thing I will say that I retain is, uh, mirrors. I, 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 I definitely look in mirrors and it's just, it's just, it's a habit. I, I, I look in mirrors. Am I too big? Am I too small? Am I, it's just, I, I, but it's not a, it's not a crazy, I don't want to, I don't, I shouldn't use that language, but it's not a, 
kind of like uh, obsessive neurotic. Okay, so, oh. um, but it's not an obsessive neurotic need to look okay. in mirrors, but it's just I find myself doing it. And, you know, I mean, I, the, and I will say one thing, and, and I know this is another thing that, that separates me from everybody else in the eating disorder community. I cannot, I don't, for me personally, I can't say I love my body. I, mm-hmm. I, I you know, I, I still want to look like Michael Fassbender. I still mm-hmm. do. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, that, that doesn't make, you know, I, I don't, but, uh, but instead of trying to achieve it now, I just say, okay, I'm not Michael Fassbender. Okay. No big deal. You know, but the whole, I love my body thing. And I know that's very important for people. I understand that, but it's not important for me. Yeah. Now, I'm never going to take a selfie and post it on in the, on yeah. the internet and say, look at my body. Now I start for 30 years. Look at me now. I don't get that, you know, so that's not my thing. Yeah, so you, I think your story and your life can provide a lot of hope for people. You suffered for a long time. You didn't see any way out of it. You were completely disconnected, and now you're talking about finding a way, even though there are still some habits and thoughts there, to to be healthy, to be connected to people. That's the incredible. Thing about my, you know, I mean, they told me, Ken, I mean, there were, there were times when people would say, Ken, I don't, I mean, I literally heard this from doctors. Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure you're going to recover, you know, which is terrible to say, you know, I mean, nobody, you know, but, but the thing is, you know, and, and I don't know if they were yeah. scaring me, but the thing was, I was so, so skinny and for so long. And um, for me, like, I, I just think for people to hear that, uh, if someone like me can recover, who is so skinny and didn't eat at all, I mean, nothing at all during the day, um, if, if I can recover, have a productive life with a, be married, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying, oh, God, how great my life is. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, but at least it's, it's a, it's, it's a quasi normal life. I mean, it is, it, I, I enjoy my life. I love it. I love listening to music. I love watching television. I love sports. You know I mean? I, 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 I never, I couldn't do this when I was suffering. That's incredibly hopeful. And you're realistic too, which I always appreciate that. And when I asked you about having this conversation, you said, I'm an open book, ask me whatever you want. So I really appreciate your time today, Ken. I can't tell you how much I've learned from our conversation. And I, I really think that listeners are, are going to learn a lot from hearing your story too. Well, I, I, I hope it, I hope it helped. You know, I mean, uh, it's, you know, I really, I think me telling the story just uh, is, I, I've got nothing, like I said, I've got nothing to hide. And really, if, if it helps one person, makes one person feel better about his or her life and that they, they can recover, then it's worth it. That's what I felt with my book. You know, how many copies are going to sell? I don't care. Somebody reads it and get and, and, and feels better about themselves, feels better about the recovery. Very inspiring. Then, then great. I might ask you one last thing. It's not eating disorder related, but while I have you here, yeah. so I, you and I have talked about music. I'm a huge yeah. music fan, as you know, so we've interacted a little bit about it. Okay. What was it like? You sent me this article, which I loved about Dessa, where, which was called, um, this is an article from, for the Boston Globe, Dessa makes music for the masses, if only the masses yeah. knew. This is from June 21st, 2018. It's a wonderful piece. And what yeah. was it like kind of interviewing Dessa? 
Uh, I, I loved her. She, she's one of the most articulate and uh, nicest uh, musicians I have, I, I mean, I, I've spoken to. I, she, I love her music, and I, I was, uh, you know, I've written about her before, and I've read, reviewed records and other things like that, but I'd never gotten to talk to her, and once we, once we got talking, I, we just connected uh, immediately, and, and really interviews is, is, doing those interviews is about connecting with the person. Uh, because if you just ask questions, you don't listen to them. And she was fantastic. I mean, she's one of my favorite artists uh, and, and one of my favorite artists to interview. She's just a, a wonderful human being. And her book, her book, which, I, uh, you know, I know you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In two days. Her book, her book is marvelous. It is. And, um, you know, to me, Des is A plus on the list of, of pop stars. I mean, you know. Thank you for letting me ask about Dessa. I thought, well, I had I, you here. Yeah, you, can, you, can, you can ask that anybody. I've interviewed a lot of people. I would give total action. So, so this you. is a meaningful A+. plus. This isn't just something you people hand A+. out. Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time listening to some of the worst interviews in my life. And, and uh, really, I, I, how many? Th- I mean, thousands of people over the years, thirty years, thousands of interviews, and and I, you know, it's 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 not always a pleasure. Let me put that. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, I will say this interview, more of a discussion than an interview, uh, has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much, thank you Ken. So much. I listen but I, I, from, from my heart. I can't thank you enough. You really, it's it's for me to be able to to talk to someone and relate my story um, on a level in which you understand and have some insight to um, and, and allow me to tell my story. Um, thank you. I can't, I can't tell you. Thank you. Bye. You're very welcome, Ken. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.